Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to another episode of The Black Test Fence with me, Robert. And it's just me, Robert, um, because I'm recording on a Tuesday because we can't record on Sunday. So, you know, being a bit proactive, um, contingency plans and all that. I've got a very special guest with me today. I've got my pastor, um, Captain Emma Moore. Captain? Hello, Robert. <laughs> or Bobby. Yes, at church they call me Bobby. Um, but yeah, I've got Emma with me. Thank you for coming down, Emma. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. Okay. I am nervous. Why are you nervous? Um, I'm afraid I'm going to say something that I'll regret later. I doubt it. Okay. I doubt it. Let's see. We'll see. We'll yes. see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get into, um, sorry, not sorry. So this is our apologetic segment where we ask a question and someone else has to like defend it. Um, could be a question that a non-believer might ask or a believer might ask. Um, yeah, Emma has kindly volunteered herself. So question for you, Emma. What do you say to people who say that women shouldn't be ministers or preachers in church? Ah, good question. Well, you can imagine that that has been reality for me because mm -hmm. that is my job and has been my vocation for 14 years. So um, it's actually a difficult one for me to answer because I grew up um, in the Salvation Army where women ministers are um, the norm. Okay. We would, worldwide, the Salvation Army would have more female ministers than male ministers male ministers um so i for me it was normalized from the moment that i started attending a church at seven years of age um the primary um minister in my church was a female uh great preacher wonderful pastor so to me it was just so normalized that it wasn't until my early 20s that someone questioned me being a minister mm. and it was actually someone in the, our congregation that questioned why was I a minister and a, and a female was I being disobedient to the scriptures so um, I would always come back to um, the scriptures are the word of God but they are interpreted and they are interpreted through our culture and they are an interpretation of the culture of which they were um, inspired within so um, my interpretation of the scriptures um, all the, the way that I read scripture is theologically. So I look at it from beginning to end and the, the overall theological message. Okay. So for me, um, I think the scriptures are quite clear about um, the priesthood of all believers and all people participating in the mission of God. And so for me, um, if a woman is skilled and designed for leadership, for pastoral work for preaching if she has those gifts then actually it is her responsibility to administer those gifts um, and be a good steward of those gifts mm. wherever she might find herself um, whether that's in ordained ministry or not so that's probably how I'd tackle that question is okay. that satisfactory or are you not convinced no that works for me okay that works good. for me cool <laughs> All right, so let's get into our talk today. So this is um, Emma's first time on the podcast. I've been trying to get her on for ages. Yeah. And it's just never happened because of like a million different reasons. So I thought that we could maybe begin with talking about your faith journey. Oh, because okay. it was very interesting for me to hear it. Mm -hmm. It was so far removed from what I thought. <laughs> uh, okay. Let's start with how did you come to the faith? Mm, okay. 
I grew up in a household that was largely, uh, I wouldn't say anti-God, but um, God wasn't a regular part of our language or our lives or our lifestyle. My mum was a barmaid and I remember growing up behind the bar of the pub where she worked and um, my dad left our family so my mum and dad separated when I was quite young and after a couple of years my mum was struggling as a single mum and she decided that if anything my sister and I needed God in our lives Mm. um, because life was pretty tough so uh, we walked into a Salvation Army service one day and uh, we found ourselves there and they welcomed us and included us in the worship and included us in Sunday school and mum went along to the Bible study and, and really we were welcomed like it was we were, like we were family. Mm. And um, over the course of the next, I think it was probably nine months or so, or maybe less, um, we began to learn about what a community of faith is like and it, it was a place of belonging and inclusion. And one of the gifts that that, community gave us was a bible and um, in particular it was a children's picture bible okay and um i remember the days vividly as anything um it was in august 1990 um so i was seven years old seven and a half and we were living in a caravan and um by that stage my mum had had my brother so she was she now had a third child and he was baby brand new baby and um, we were reading from this children's picture Bible. My mum was reading it to us. And in particular, she'd chosen that day the story of Jesus' death. And I remember the coloured pictures so vividly of Jesus on the cross. I can remember the, the cross and the background colours, everything. Everything about it is so vivid. And I had this sense as a seven-year-old that this Jesus had died for me mm. and that I was a sinner and that I needed, I needed a saviour. And the only thing I can put it down to is that the work of the Spirit was in that space at that time, prompting me and leading me to recognise that. Mm. Um, and so that day we, my mum, my sister and I, as a family really, we, we kind of decided from that day on that we would dedicate our lives to Jesus and following okay. Jesus. Um, yeah, so that's pretty well how I started and came to faith. Okay. Yeah. And so you came to faith and then there was a bit in the middle and then you find yourself going off to training college in Australia. Yes. Where you're originally from. Yes. Yes. So how did you know that it was God's calling in your life for you to be a minister? Or if you, or what, what made you feel like it was your calling? This is a great question because lately we have, or I've been thinking about this whole idea of calling and while I would have used the language of calling a lot in the past because it is a big part of the language we use particularly in the Salvation Army but also in the evangelical church we use this this idea of calling a lot I've been thinking a lot lately about how that does us a disservice at times Um, so I've moved away from that a little bit and started thinking more about Things like, what am I compelled to do? What are my responsibilities? What, what are those things that I can bring as well as calling? So for me, I did have a sense of what, what I would have described as calling. 
but actually what what happened was I told you a moment ago about this female officer that I had right at the beginning of my journey. I would watch her from I would sit in the front row because I loved being in church and I'd sit in the front row and I would watch her and I would be absolutely mesmerized by her. She was a great preacher. She was beautiful in every way and to me she just I just wanted to be like her. And I would say that actually through her example that God was speaking to me about ministry. Uh, is that a calling? We would apply that language to that sense that I had that I wanted to be like this woman. But that, that is part of my story. It is that I saw in this woman something and actually I, I wanted what she had and I wanted to do what she did. And I think God's used that in, in many ways. It's probably a series of things that happen really to get to a point when you, I think, when you go, I think this is the direction God's leading me to. Yeah. Have I answered that sufficiently? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you think that being an officer in the Salvation Army is something that you will do until you retire? Or Well, the thing is, um, in the Salvation Army, you can retire, I believe. I might be wrong, but I have heard you can be- you can leave after 25 years of service. Okay. So that would take me um, into mid-40s because I, I started in officership quite young. Mm. Um, so I could retire in my mid-40s and have a whole second vocation or career or whatever. And I've been entertaining that idea lately. <laughs> <laughs> Only, uh, uh, yeah. Um, is, that bec- more, is that because of how the Salvation Army is run or is that because of like how you feel you are in life at the minute? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, it's a combination of things. Um, There are certain things, structures and systems we have in the Salvation Army that are inadequate, I feel. Um, That the Army is endeavouring to to change Mm. and to work on and to to maybe think of other ways of doing things. But if I was going to be completely honest, and there's only one way I can be, which is honest, um, uh, some of those things are quite oppressive um, including that, uh, I would say most of the time what I could offer in ministry is maybe overlooked or not fully used. Um, and yeah, so I do think, you know, how long, how long do I live that life for? And is that because you are a woman or? Um, I would say yes, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, good question. Uh, yeah, I would say that um, while we, you know, we pride ourselves in the Salvation Army for being, you know, women in ministry, for having women in ministry, but actually the reality is that that especially married female officers are still classed as the... the uh, wife officer's wife or the we actually had a saying in australia i don't know if it was here in the uk but they would be called the cow because it stood (laughs) for core officer's wife now we've always the female has always been trained to the same standard as the male Mm -hmm. but we enter into a culture that uh is still very much for some reason that the man has the primary role Mm even if the woman might be more capable or just as capable and might even have some certain skills and gifts that might be more um, conducive to ministry. Um, Yeah, so I I would say that that might be primarily the reason is that I 
uh, yeah, I feel a bit oppressed at times. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I remember you, t- you, you telling me about you left college before Matt did, Matt being your husband. Yeah, um, so I, I went into college single um, and I exited college just starting to date Matt mm-hmm. uh, and I went into an appointment, which is what we call our ministry positions, an appointment. Um and I had one on my own for three years or in a team for for three years before Matt was commissioned as an officer and then we got married mm. we got married and, and joined together. So I, I have had a ministry as a single person. Yeah. And yeah. and like I remember you telling me that there was like a shift in how you were treated when you were by yourself and then after you got married. Yes. It was blatant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, uh, to be honest, you know, if it happened in any other environment, you you could you could go for di- you know anti discrimination mm. stuff because um, it was just so blatantly obvious that I was being discriminated because mm. of my sex. Why do you think that um, women are seen as almost lesser when it comes to ministry? Oh, I think it must come to down to the interpretation of scripture and how we interpret those few scriptures that speak about, for instance, uh, that a woman should be silent, mm-hmm. um, that the man is the the head. Yeah, I think it it comes down to how we handle those those passages, um, and and probably some remnants of how society has been in general. I mean, we, women largely across the world are still. Um, mistreated and are still vulnerable and in some places still second-class citizens. Mm. So we're still dealing with the repercussions of that. In my opinion, in the church, we should be standing against that, very boldly standing against that because that is not part of the kingdom of God. So, But I think that that's what we're still dealing with in a lot of places. Do you feel like you have a personal part to play in that fight to stop women being seen as cows and <laughs> the sort? Um, I maybe. <laughs> oh, look! Uh, for as long as I'm able to have a microphone, mm-hmm. um, I will. I will talk about it, um, pointing out what is wrong with it. I didn't know that there was something different about me. Um, in terms of, I didn't know that I wasn't meant to lead. I didn't know I wasn't meant to minister until someone said something to me in my early 20s when I was an officer. Because okay. that just wasn't part of the, the life that I'd grown up with, really. I was raised in a single parent home when my mum my was the primary carer. And she just instilled within us that we could do whatever we wanted to do, within reason, mm. that it wasn't dependent on our 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 gender Uh, and then I had some really wonderful teachers growing up who were feminists and I remember when I was 11 look I'm probably going on a tangent here but this is a good story (laughs) (laughs) Uh, when I was 11 my my teacher at school Miss Raymond I remember her uh, she handed me an envelope um, and said I want your next project to be on women in politics Okay. And she gave me all this literature on on women in politics, and I, she she gave me a gift that day because she was saying something implicitly to me about 
women in leadership and women in influence. Mm. So as long as I'm able to, I will I will um, push some doors. And I, but to be honest, when you are, um, there there is something very disempowering about being treated as the second or the the um, the lesser, I suppose, and so. It is very difficult to speak up against when you're the one that's disempowered. Yeah. So I, I believe in many ways that yes, I can keep um, pushing the doors and pushing the boundaries. But if we're not doing it all together, then um, it's just going to be an uphill battle. Mm. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like within our church, um, the, the congregation is predominantly women. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that there is still that same kind of mindset even within our church of men having to be at the, at the top position and if women are in ministry, having to be in like certain roles? Uh, so... Um, just for a bit of context like so so like our church is there's like a it's very there's a very high african like denomination and um like i know from like being Ghanaian myself that um there's still that mindset of um man at the top women helper and that sort of thing yes um so have you found that kind of mindset being here uh, I wish I could say no, but even Sunday just gone, I'm not sure if you noticed. Uh, like in the prayer time, someone prayed for our officer, Matt. I was, yeah. yeah the, Is that yeah, the one you were yes, going to say? Yes, yeah. And for, for him to be guided with strength and wisdom. And I just took note of that and I thought, okay, that that isn't even the, you know, s- uh, sexism can happen in the undercurrents. That was actually explicit. Mm-hmm. to me i'm sure that it wasn't the intention of the person but you, you yeah the the question does run through your mind okay so what does that mean for me and um does that mean i am not viewed as the officer here and mm. you know things like that um we do have a couple of individuals who will refuse to speak to me and will want to speak to matt only or mm. will say to me can you please ask matt to come and see me about this and when I, I'll say, would you like to speak to me about that? And they don't want to speak to me about that because um, for whatever reason, I don't know, Matt obviously is the preferred person. Mm. I've also noticed, and I'm not sure if this is a cultural thing, but um, there is it like a tiered thing that goes on um, when there's a complaint. And it, it seems to be that a complaint is made to someone on our leadership team and then someone from the leadership team will complain then to me. And I'm wondering if they think then that I'm going to go and complain to Matt. Okay. Um, but that's just not part of how Matt and I operate. So we talk about everything, but we consult each other on pretty well every leadership decision mm. that it, it's not that I'm going to run and tell Matt and he will deal with it. It's, it, it's more like, okay, we've got this situation. How are we going to deal with this? Um, so there are some th- small things that still go on um, and st- go on h- here in the UK um, as much as what goes ho- on 
at home in Australia. Okay. Um, how have you found being a Christian in the UK different from being a Christian in Australia? If at all. Yeah, no, this is a really great question, actually. Um, I, I was led to believe that the UK and, well, Europe, but the UK was more secularised than Australia. But having lived here now for nearly a year, I would I would say that Australia is a more secularised society. Um, unless this is just a portrait of the position of the Salvation Army in society. So at home, we've had a really big shake-up in the Salvation Army. Uh, we've declined significantly um, in terms of church numbers. Mm. Um, we we were confronted with uh, the repercussions of the Royal Commission into institutional child abuse claims, uh, which really, you know, the Salvation Army was a reputable organisation in Australia and, and came tumbling down because of that, and rightly so. Um but the, the repercussions and the implications of that uh, have meant we've seen a flow-on effect all throughout our organisation. Mm. Um, so you don't take for granted um, – in Australia, I think we, we're very aware that the church is not at the centre of society. Um, we're, we're quite aware that um, – You've got to have a credible faith, an intelligent faith, if you if you want to, to um, I guess contribute to a conversation. Yeah. Uh, having been here for a year now, there I feel like there's a little bit of naivet- naivety around um, this the state of things, and and I think hear that the church is slowly moving to the margins but I'm not sure if the church is aware of that um, and I wonder what, what will have to happen for the church to be aware of of that um, certainly for the Salvation Army I do wonder I think like in Australia I'm sure the Salvation Army has been favorable here in the UK what happens when we lose that favor mm. what does it mean then for our faith i might I might be naive here, but I actually think it's a good thing when the church moves to the margins. Um, it seems that when the church is in the margins, if you look at the book of Acts, for example, the church was in the margins. The, the new the Christianity was, it wasn't at the centre of society and yet that's where it flourished. It, it was birthed out of that place. And I, I kind of think when, when we're in the margins that that's when God might actually um, do something quite magnificent with the church. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I've known you for about a year now. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I've come to really appreciate about you is your cerebral way of thinking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so being someone who's like really into like theology and stuff, how do you how do you reconcile the spiritual part of being a Christian with head knowledge from the Bible? Let me see if I understand your question. I'm going to just start talking and we'll see if I've understood you, okay? okay, okay. <laughs> um, I think this is one, actually a really big issue that we face in, the, um, in, in Christianity, which is the separation of mind and spirit, mm-hmm. uh, mind and body, spirit and body. Um, actually, a fair bit of what I've been doing in my studies over the last couple of years is looking at the relationship of, or who the, who we are as people 
and this idea of us being almost two separate parts or sometimes three but mostly two separate parts the spirit and the body Mm. the mind and the spirit it was birthed really out of um greek thinking Uh, you see it a little bit in paul's writing in the in the new testament um because it was birthed out of this greek thinking of this dualism um and that somehow the spirit was more important than the body or that the spirit was more important than the, the mind. Um, but slowly and surely what's happening, and it actually was out of, it wasn't part of Jew- Jewish thinking. Jewish thinking always saw the person as a whole, yeah. that the spirit and the body couldn't be separated and the mind and the body couldn't be separated, that, that we're, we're this integrated whole. There, there is certain discourse in 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 the Old Testament that is quite foreign to this idea of a separation. Okay. Okay. Uh, The study that I've been doing has started to look at, well, actually, who are we as people and to reconsider the whole idea that we are this integrated whole, um, that our body and our mind and our spirit are are our package, not this thing that we separate. Mm. Um, So for me, intellectual work is spiritual work. Um, a couple of years ago, my mentor asked me, you know, where, where do I see Jesus when I'm studying? And I can't even remember the context of why she asked me this, but she said, where, like, what's the image that comes to your mind when you're studying and where do you see Jesus in that? And I, I just had this picture that Jesus was um, standing over my shoulder while I was deep in study and that Jesus was really delighted in this deep thinking work that I was doing. Mm. And so that image has become um, almost like the, um, the metaphor for how I approach any deep theological engagement. It's that it's not this separate thing that I do on the side. It's part of my spiritual development and it's part of, of me knowing and loving Jesus more. Um, so when, when I'm really challenged at times by new thinking theologically, um, I see Jesus almost as clear as anything in that process. Um, so he, it, it becomes part of the spiritual discipline for me. Mm. Um, yeah, so I don't find it helpful to think dualistically about it. it it's become an integration. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Mm. So you're going to be here for, is it three years? Yeah, so our contract or our visa is for three years. Okay. Yes. And in those three years, what are you hoping to achieve or accomplish for the church? Uh, Good question. We're actually being reviewed at the moment. And that's one of the questions is, or the next 12 months anyway. So thinking beyond that is probably a bit more, uh, a bit stretching for me. Immediately one that comes to mind is uh, you would know we have a lot of, um, I think, really quality young adults in our congregation. And um, I'd really love to see some good thinking in community thinking going on with those young adults, Mm. um, if for any other reason, so I can have a bit of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I would hope to just encourage um, our young adults in their faith and to 
um, I guess a bit of what I've just sa- just said there about um, engaging the mind in in the in as part of our spiritual discipline, mm. um, doing some thinking together. So that's something I'm I've been praying about, and would like to see happen. Um, I guess for Matt and I, one of the things that we keep coming back to that we pray about and that we talk about a lot is what does it mean for the Salvation Army to exist here in Suffolk? Mm. What does it mean for the people that gather on a Sunday to be engaged here in this community? And what would that look like? So um, we don't have any answers yet, but that is where we spend a lot of time discussing and, and thinking, well, what does it mean? And what do we do about that? Okay. So connecting more, I guess, the the worship life of the, the core to the wider community. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And what's next for you in your own personal walk? Hmm. Uh, so I am engaged at the moment in formal study, doing an MA in theology. Um, and... In September, I start a dissertation, so a large project. Mm. So that's the next big okay. thing for me. <laughs> and I, p- I want to go to Italy. <laughs> yeah, Italy's very nice. It's a very nice place. Yeah. Um, what's been the hardest thing about being a pastor? Mm. Good question. <laughs> Where do I start? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I shouldn't say that. I, um, no matter how much I try really struggle with um, complaints and when people um, express their criticism, (laughs) uh, personal criticism, I guess, that's probably been the hardest thing for me, yeah. And the best thing? I really love seeing people flourishing in their faith and in their discipleship. And how do you find the balance of being a pastor with being a wife and a mother? Mm, Okay. So I think uh, that potentially, I mean, I I don't have any other context to speak of, but I think potentially being in ministry as we are is one of the best ways to have a family because there is flexibility. So I very rarely miss out on um, being able to see my kids do things at school Um, I can get involved in their school because for me that is part of ministry as well. Um, either Matt or myself, one of us is always home for them at school at the end of school time and we very rarely have to leave them behind for any reason. Um, I, I think we have a lot of flexibility. So um, on one hand, I, I think it's a great lifestyle to have a family and um, there are difficulties in that, you know, some Sundays the kids don't want to go to church. And what do you say to them when actually you've got to be there? <laughs> you can't just say, yeah, actually, let's have a Sunday sleep in. Let, <laughs> let's take it slow today. Yeah, let's go to the park. You know, the Sunday just gone, they were both really tired and they didn't want to come to church. And in the end, I had to pull out, it's my job, we have to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, but... Um, so that those things can be challenging. Um, I've always believed that I have no right to no right um, 
from a discipleship point of view to speak into people's lives if I am not um, trying to honour God with being a parent. Mm. Um, So for me, quality time with my kids is important, making sure that they have good food, that they sleep well, that they get their homework done. That's all part of ministry. Um, so I incorporate that into my life. It's not a side thing. It's it's life. Um, Matt and I have worked together for as long as we've been married. Um, and sometimes the overlap between marriage and being um, co-workers mm-hmm. <laughs> is fuzzy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think it just comes down to just being... Um, making space for communication, good mm-hmm. communication. Yeah. If you had the option to not have to work with Matt as closely as you do, would you take that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Uh, well, it's part of what we already spoke about with the the um, gender in- inequality. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I often wonder what what would it be like to not work alongside Matt? Would some of that, if we had very separate roles, mm-hmm. um, then I wouldn't just be his support mate and I wouldn't be just um, making him look good or him making me look good, but mm-hmm. rather an individual in our, in our own right and being able to bring what we both bring separately. Um yeah, so I would like the opportunity to do that. I'm not sure Matt's really keen. <laughs> Actually, I know for sure he has often said that he doesn't think he could do it. <laughs> uh, he could. He's very competent. Yeah, He's definitely. very competent. But anyway. Yeah. Well, I think that would be a nice place to round up. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Not a problem. Um, hookups. Um, do you want to go first with your hookup? Uh, yeah, sure. So, um, I want to recommend a documentary that's currently on, uh, channel four and it's, uh, called 100 Vaginas. (laughs) Uh, and it's a documentary, uh, based on the, um, photographs that Laura Dodsworth took. Um, and I'll just read what it says online. okay? Okay. Um, so she has taken photographs of women and then she hears their intimate, shocking, moving, powerful or funny stories about how their vaginas have shaped their lives. <laughs> uh, I, honestly, great documentary. Uh, if And actually really quite um, suitable for what we've talked about today about gender equality mm. as well because uh, it opens that whole conversation up about um, women and where women fit in society in general. Um, so I think that it would be – I highly recommend it. Watch it. Sounds interesting. Yeah. I might have to give it a watch sometime. <laughs> uh, my hookup for this week is going to be – I should really come prepared for this. There is a YouTube channel called Fire in the Spoof. Um, it's – how do you explain it? So I think um, – Rap, grime, drill music done by characters from your childhood. Yeah. 
I'm sure you don't. You, you have, you have no I have idea no <laughs> idea, but I am interested. Yeah, so you got there's a whole bunch of characters. So like, I think the latest one is like the Flintstones. Uh, um, I know the Flintstones. Yeah, you know the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like you've ever seen them before. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so it's just like a whole bunch of freestyles um, by these different characters. Um, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we just had Fireman Sam and, Tin- Fireman Sam and Tintin um, have a beef, and it was amazing. It was it was great. But I definitely recommend that. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, thank you for coming down. Oh, I have one more hookup though. Oh yeah, Matt's animation on YouTube. Oh, would you be okay with you sharing that? We're gonna do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> August number. Is that what it's called? I should know these things. I think so. I've got it on my phone so I can... I can. Yeah. yeah. So my husband, Matt, it has been um, experimenting with some animation. And um, yeah, yeah, check he, it out. He, he likes to try and do a new thing every year. And animation is his yeah. project for this year. Yeah. It's actually pretty good. Um, yeah, so go and check it out. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you for coming down, Emma. Not a problem. Hopefully this isn't the last time. Okay. Look, it wasn't that bad. So I think yeah. you'll, <laughs> you'll hear me again. Yeah. And hopefully the rest of the fans will be here next time. Um, shout out to Reed for the intro outro music. Calvin Turner for the Ordinary Amazing logo. You can find us at Twitter, um, at the Fence UK. You can email us at Um You can find us at sound, soundcloud.com forward slash forward slash the blacksmith's first no apostrophe on all good podcasting apps and websites including spotify and itunes blacksmith's first with an apostrophe and i think that is everything so once again thank you emma and this is the blacksmith's finest signing out